the digital transition. Digital Transition, brought to you by Fulton Trotter Digital, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, podcast number eight. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm chatting with Rob Rove, aka the BIM Captain. Today, Rob and I will be discussing why Open BIM works. We'll cover why Open BIM processes are so important and the benefits to, for clients to request OpenBIM deliverables as part of their digital deliverable strategy. Thanks for being with us today, Rob. Yeah, uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So firstly, Rob, for those that are not aware of who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm, okay, Rob Roof, as you pronounce it, but it's difficult. I know that I'm 50 years of age now, and I've been involved in CAT computer-aided design since the early 90s. I'm educated civil engineer, and nowadays I run my own independent consultancy company, which is called BIM Captain. I've had various roles in the past, the crossing of uh, operations, uh, commercial uh, organizations. So I, I, was a, I was a commercial director for a software company a couple of years, and recently, I've been involved in uh, Graphisoft, who was one of my biggest clients in the past one and a half years as their Open BIM program manager. And nowadays, uh, I'm working as a, a business developer at TNO. TNO is the Dutch uh, research organization where they develop all kinds of new uh, BIM tools like BIM bots and voxelization of BIM. Further, I'm involved in Building Smart, one of the founders of the airport room, now co-leader of the building room, and I was as chair of Building Smart Benelux. So I'm involved in BIM quite heavily. It seems quite an extensive list there, Rob. And and I guess what we're talking about right now is the the kind of focus that you've had within your career over the last couple of years with regards to Open BIM. And I think what would be valuable would be in the future, um, either in the second series that we do next year, to actually come back and have another chat to you about some of the the tools that the the, the team that, that you're working with are currently creating because as people um, begin on their journey, they need to understand the first steps, which is what we're talking about today. But then looking forward to next year, then we could potentially talk about some additional tools or or processes that they could adopt that are kind of smart technologies that you're working with. Would that, would that be right? Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about machine learning and all those, and all those stuff, but... The nice thing, it's all based on open BIM standards. So we can, of course, we can discuss today the open BIM standards and then later on we can discuss the next steps that people can make. The people throughout the last seven episodes would have heard me talk about BIM and they would have heard me talk about open BIM. But the biggest problem we have within industry for people that are beginning their journey is that there are a lot of acronyms and terminology that can be quite confusing. So could you give a, a short description about what open BIM is? Yes, of course. I, I will try to. I always try to explore wherever I am how Open BIM really differentiates from BIM. And to be honest, it doesn't. So we are speaking about Open BIM as 
universal approach to the collaborative design, realization, and operation of buildings based on open standards and workflows. Well, I'm reading that out. That's the official definition of open BIM coming from Building Smart. A lot of people think different about open BIM. So people say it's software independency, it's long-time archiving of BIM data. The open BIM standards are often uh, referred to Building Smart again. But most of all, open BIM is a mindset. So we need to be open. You need to be open to collaborate with others not depending on the software or the systems that they are using. People are being chosen for their profession, for how good they are at that profession, and not because of what tools they are using. To conclude, Open BIM is a mindset. I like a mindset. It's it's very uh, thoughtful at, a, at this time of the evening for me. You, you mentioned that Open BIM was developed or it's, it's, it's a terminology kind of held by Building Smart. Can you give an, a bit of an explanation behind, um, I guess, who Building Smart are for people that aren't aware and what their role yeah. is within within an industry? And, and I guess the other key thing is just noting that this is an international organisation. It is an international organisation, but it's, it's supported locally. So Building Smart was founded many years ago. Different stakeholders were involved. Uh, software companies, architects, and, and some other industry stakeholders to have a platform, a universal platform to uh, develop and support and maintain open standards. But I said it's supported locally. And I think BuildingSpot has over 25 chapters. Chapters are local representatives of Building Smart, sometimes going over national borders where people speak the same language to support the implementation of open standards in the the various countries, uh, supporting local standards. It's a non-for-profit organization. So a lot of volunteers are involved. We have twice a year an international standard summit last month we had one in Düsseldorf in Germany and there were over a thousand people involved now already so that's a couple of years ago it was only 100 150 so we are growing really uh, fast there's a lot of user commitment and nowadays what building smart is doing is uh, taking care of the certification of software certification of individuals and they develop a lot of standards, five standards at this moment, and some of them are even ISO uh, certificated. Um, one of those standards is IFC. People have heard about it. And uh, from, <laughs> from a building smart point of view, IFC stands for International Friendship Club. So it's really, <laughs> <laughs> it's really uh, a nice organization to be involved with. So their role is essentially to roll out standards across the globe and then the local chapters would essentially be representing their industries within their own countries to provide feedback loops essentially to developing standards that actually meet the requirements not only of their own individual countries but the whole globe yeah it's the whole globe so yeah. it's it's to provide open bim standards to the to the global 
uh, BIM globe and bring uh, measurable benefits to the users. And I think that's really, really important. And they, uh, it's, it's a global-led uh, company and it's a trusted resource and a partner for many governments and industry leaders. It's quite a, an interesting organization. Diffuse if you uh, if you are looking from the outside, but very uh, very sufficient run from the inside. I guess the key thing about um, building smarts role, and when uh, new users or new people go onto their website and you start digging into the the type of outputs that are produced by Building Smart International, um, people are struck with a whole new series of acronyms and. Uh, yeah. I know this is a lot of fun. This is the pun, best best mm. bit of fun of this whole discussion for people. But the the key thing about this is is that we want to try and go through each one of these one by one, so we can kind of remove some of the acronym con- confusion that there is. Because this is the this is where you know it becomes quite frustrating for people as well. For for the listeners out there, I'm going to hit you with the first one. What is an IDM, and which yeah. ISO standard could it be covered in? It's fantastic, all those acronyms. And sometimes I have to look them up because, I, of course, I know some by heart. Okay, IDM stands for Information Delivery Manual. IDM, an Information Delivery Manual, it's part of the ISO 29481-1 and dash 2. But an IDM looks at the individual processes and maps them to understand what should be flowing and when. I usually say it describes in a BIM process, from a BIM process point of view, who needs what, where, why, and how. Essentially, okay. <laughs> essentially, it's a standard which describes the process of which information transfers Runs, and how that all happens yeah. and, and, the, yeah, and, so, and, and what information is required. Yes. So an IDM includes uh, a transaction map. Uh, a process map, but as well the exchange requirements. All the standards that are supporting the process are described in an information delivery manual. But what is really nice is there is a basic IDM developed uh, in the Netherlands. Yep. And that basic IDM, it's a two-pager. It's really, really easy uh, to understand which is now translated, I think, into 15 languages already, and it's supporting 70% of the BIM globe at this moment. So if people Google for basic IDM, they should find some some very useful information. We briefly touched on uh, the International Friend Club, which for those Mm -hmm. uh, that are listening right now, um, the acronym IFC doesn't actually stand for that in a formal manner. Can we talk about what IFC actually stands for and also its ISO standard? Well, IFC, that acronym, I don't know who came up with it, but uh, people should forget it. It's industry foundation class, but please don't try to remember that. Actually, um, it's an ISO standard. It's 16739. And I always call it the basic operating system that transport the information and the data. So that is, the IFC is the most important standard uh, developed within uh, Building Smart, and uh, officially an ISO standard. 
it's like I said, it's it's basically the carrier, the information carrier of the uh, of of the data. It's an express scheme for some people that are a little bit more technical, and there's a lot of development in IFC at this moment. Currently, there is an IFC version four. The industry is still working with IFC two X three, that was the previous version, and that. That has to do. That has to do with the certification process uh, of the software, which is a difficult process. A lot of software, of of course, the software I've been working with for the past years, is already uh, able to to exchange and interpret uh, IFC four, but officially that software is not certified yet. So people are always exchanging information in the BIM process, in an open BIM process, through and via IFC. So essentially an IFC is just the the translator between all the native software f- formats in, in, in an in a internationally recognized uh, file format or a, scheme, a file schema from which uh, information, the software vendors need to map their native terminology into a yes. international language, which is the IFC language, and then the yeah, and then the receiving language, the receiver, takes that file, and then is able to then remap and translate it back into its receiving native software. So that's essentially enabling all those tools to be used uh, by different people, which I'm I'm sure you'll enjoy when I hit when we get into depth, delve into a bit more detail shortly about that. Now. We're going to get a hit, hit another couple of acronyms, but the first one, a BCF file. Now, the key thing for people to note is BCF is not an ISO standard. BCF is, is uh, the BIM col- uh, collaboration format. And IFC, we just mentioned, is not a native file format. So you were correct. People are accepting and inter-exchanging uh, IFC. And I always call BIM a demand-driven process. So you need to be, uh, you need to know what the other uh, needs to do their job better, and to exchange issues uh, in in the in the BIM process. We developed BCF, and BCF is for issue tracking uh, of IFC. So it was originally developed by Tecla and Solibri and later adopted as a standard by BuildingSmart. BCF contains snapshots of IFC data and IFC data contains both graphical and non-graphical information. And it's just to uh, exchange issues. Uh, I just mentioned uh, uh, Solibri. I think a lot of people heard about that software. In Solibri, you can... Uh, uh, do a class check or a rule-based model check. You need to communicate that, and instead, instead of sending over a complete IFC, you're only sending over issues. And you're only sending the information that's relevant, which is the most important thing. Without sending uh, essentially additional digital information that's of actually no purpose to communicate a problem. So I think that's probably the key thing to note about BCF. Yes, like I said, it's a demand-driven process and you need to exchange only relevant information. But um, we're up to the next one, which is IFD. And and also, can you talk about what ISO standard it is? Yeah. Um, 
IFD stands for International Framework for Dictionaries. And it's sometimes confused with the Building Smart Data Dictionary. Yep. It's an ISO standard. It's an official ISO standard. It's the 12006-3. Actually, it's a data dictionary. And the like I said, the IFC is the carrier of the information. And not all the information needs to be exchanged in the in the carrier so it has references to data dictionaries and well the ifd is uh, the most common and the most used standard uh, when it comes to data dictionaries in the in the bim world it's linking existing databases with construction information it's not so. It's not the. Uh, it's not an exciting standard, no. but it's one of the things no. <laughs> that that gets covered typically within softwares, and absolutely, and it's mainly something for focus of uh, people that are uh, software developers or, or content creators, essentially. Yeah, like uh, well, we're not mentioning uh, a lot where I, where I'm working now, but the TNO uh, they are uh, exploring this these kind of developments. They are exchanging info or ex- uh, linking these kind of uh, databases dictionaries from the from the built environment so the uh, our our bim world into the gis world data standardization is very very important in the end so it's not about software it's about data and therefore this uh, ifd will be very important in the coming years now we're up to our final uh, acronym for the evening or today is uh, mm-hmm. what is an MVD, and we also note that this isn't covered in an ISO standard. An MVD is a basically a subset of IFC, like you just mentioned, and I said before as well. Um, you need to exchange relevant information. An IFC, a complete uh, model, can contain too much information, so you can create subsets. And those subsets are called model view definitions. And there are a lot of uh, interpretations there. You can create your own. We can, we both can create our own model view definition. And there are some building smart official model view definitions as well implemented in software. So it's a subset of an IFC. And typically what most people would be using uh, with uh, with an IFC two by three would be coordination view two point zero, but there's also a series of other model view definitions that have been created for the purposes of uh, costing from quantity surveyors, and there's also another model view definition for Kobe, which we won't go into too much detail. Moving on to some of the reasons why Open BIM works. The, the joys of this is, and I remember you bailing me up in Budapest at one of the functions at, at Graphisoft's KCC event last year, you know, and uh, you asked me without a bit of warning, and, and this was after having a few sherbets, and uh, you, you, you kind of shoved your phone in my face and, and said, Nathan, what does Open BIM mean to me? And uh, my response or analogy was as follows. So because it gives everyone in the supply chain a chance to choose their tool of choice to deliver what's required for a client. Now, if we're all stuck using the same tool, we wouldn't be able to deliver our best output. Now, when you are building a building, you don't just use a screwdriver. You use a whole series of tools to physically build it. Now, why shouldn't that be any different with BIM software? Because 
all of our roles are essentially unique and we're not all carpenters. We might be an electrician or we might be a plumber and we have different tools to do that. In a similar way, Rob, and we, you might not, you know, it's early in the morning over there now but and you probably haven't had any sherbets, but I'm going to put you on the spot right now and ask you what open bin means to you. Okay, well, it's almost a lifestyle for me, open bin. You know, it's, um, I hope that uh, my crusade, as I call it, uh, for open bin will result in better understanding for for each stakeholder. So I'm not biased. I'm a supporter of all vendors. Like I said, it's a mindset. So I, I like your approach about the screwdriver. I'm using it all the time. So when I'm doing a presentation about OpenBIM, I always use uh, that, that, that little snapshot I'm, I made from you. I would like the global industry, uh, the global construction industry to really work together and that there are many tools available at, uh, that people have a free choice and that it's not mandated. That's what OpenBeam Open really means to me at this moment. Let's go in a bit more detail now about, I guess, the real true benefits of OpenBeam. Many built assets have lifespans of over 50 years. There are risks associated with proprietary file types. Andrew Kerthois from the Queensland Government actually briefly touched on this in episode two uh, of this series where he discussed the issues that he had with uh, three and a quarter inch floppy disks and some files that he had that, that were not updated in line with his specific software at the time. You'd be old enough to remember three and a quarter inch floppies, wouldn't you, Rob? <laughs> I am. I am as well. But the thing is, is do, do anyone, does anyone, you know, three and a quarter inch floppies were around when I was in, in primary school, right? You imagine... You imagine trying to actually find a computer that had a three and a quarter inch floppy inch uh, drive right now to actually take those files. Now, well, actually, wasn't wasn't it three and a half and five and a quarter? No, it was five and three quarter inch. Oh, that was it. Oh, yeah. It was oh, five and three quarter and three and a quarter. Yeah, it could have, or it could have been oh. three and a half. I might be might be yeah. wrong there as well. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> but then uh, another analogy that I kind of like to use with this is. With proprietary files, uh, form formats, is actually can be drawn to a lot of things that most people can be have experience with with audio and visual content over the last fifty years. Now the formats have changed significantly, right? No one uses VHS tapes anymore, uh, cassette tapes or floppy disks, even right. If you if you align this analogy um, with with kind of file formats and saving uh, proprietary stuff from a built asset perspective of storage of information, what do you think that the benefits would be for a client in specifying open BIM deliverables over a proprietary file type? I'm not a fortune teller, of course, but I think that w when I look back, I, I still have my PC30, a Commodore 30 Mac uh, hard disk drive and where I develop my tools for my parents' company. And I, I programmed there in, in DBase 3 and Clipper and exactly. And I, I cannot read those files anymore, but I can still read those JPEGs from those times. And JPEG is, a, is, a, is, a, is an open format. We had TIFF in those, in those days as well uh, for photos, but I cannot read those anymore. So I think that in the end, we are benefiting as an industry from open standards because those open standards are backwards compatible 
you can still open them no matter how they uh, evolved. So like I just said, a lot of people are thinking about connecting data, linking data. Uh, we see that the IFC schemes are developing into IFC OAL, um, so the object, more object-oriented uh, libraries, but it's still backwards compatible. And I think backwards compatibility is the key issue here. Of course, we have proprietary software that is backwards compatible as well, but then you still need that uh, type of software. And so Minucci from Italy, he said to me, I don't want to be handcuffed or locked in by a vendor. I want to invest in open standards so I can use the tool that I want at that time. Now, I guess the key thing is before people start going nuts on social media, because I know a number of technical-minded people within industry do listen to the podcast, um, I, I have to acknowledge that, yes, there are some clients that may see uh, benefit in maintaining their digital assets in a proprietary format. And this approach, I think, in my opinion, can, can lead to other issues, uh, which needs to be considered. Now, you know, Rob, can you comment on this and your thoughts now obviously he's talked about the gentleman from italy that talks about not wanting to be wedded to one software but you're able to comment on you know from your opinion the issues that actually can be faced by clients that actually want to maintain um, their assets in a proprietary format yeah well uh last week i was in barcelona and i was hit by a guy from a very very big organization that was standardized on uh, proprietary uh, data. And, and they thought it was the best idea. It is an international organization, but now they want, they, they he, he, he really explained to me that he wants to move out of that area and he wants to have it uh, in, a, uh, in, an open, in an open format because it's going to be too expensive to maintain that uh, that system. And I think that software vendors were benefiting from that lock-in, but they are now forced to go open. So it will be just a matter of time uh, before we will be able to exchange information through different ecosystems. As I remember, a couple of months ago, there was an initiative initiative started from different common data environment vendors to have a common data exchange format based on open standards, maybe IFC, maybe something else. So at this moment, I, I understand that an owner or uh, a client wants to have both. They want to have the proprietary information and they want to have the open standard. In the end, they will benefit more from the open standard. From my perspective, I see it as actually more to do with the cost of maintaining software subscriptions and constantly updating models to current releases. Now, that's the first thing that I see as a problem because of the fact that, you know, as an asset owner, uh, the expectations of having to maintain an asset um, and having to have software to maintain your asset constantly rather than having someone else do that for you can be costly. 
And then secondly, the other issue that I kind of look at is it actually limits your market competition in terms of, you know, for example, within my profession, the architectural profession, if you only want a file in one format, then it actually limits the market that you can actually uh, receive services from. Now, in the end, you don't want to be uh, dictating the vehicle that uh, drives your package to um, to you as a client. You want to specify what the package looks like, how much the package it cost, and at what and and when you want it delivered. But you shouldn't really need to get into the details of of how that person or the, or the brand or the color of the vehicle that drives it there. No, but you have to be aware that, that in some areas in the world, people are not uh, really, uh, <laughs> they are not so transparent, let me say it like that. So the industry is not so transparent. And when you mandate a pro- proprietary standards, then you can hide uh, behind uh uh, that that curtain of you know not being transparent and some clients they just want to build and sell the property so why do they need uh, information or data standards that they can still use for the common or for 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 the next uh, uh, 50 years so there's a lot of arguments going on and therefore we need to have podcasts like this to explain, and you did it just very well, that there are other options. This could be an interesting two-way conversation, this one, rather than a, a strict question. And there's people in industry that criticise IFC for not working in practice. You would have been um, around in Slovenia last year when you might have seen me talk about uh, my beliefs about the critique of IFC. And you, you briefly touched on before about how there are a number of people within industry currently working to further develop IFC and we're moving through the, the various releases to, to pick up certain things. Now, um, IFC is kind of a, a developing schema and as a schema it's only going to be able to develop further through essentially the same process of feedback loop that occurs using uh, ISO 9001 in terms of a quality assurance system. Now, one of the other analogies that I used the other or a couple of months ago when I presented over in Slovenia was the concept that even the English dictionary, so the Webster English dictionary last year added 1,500 new words to it. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is a language that's been around for over a 1,000 years. Now, IFC is essentially like a instantaneous translator. It, it performs the role of communicating between two native languages of, or, or, you know, authoring softwares or receiving softwares. And it's only going to improve the more people use it and the more that people provide feedback. Now, that's kind of my view on how uh, IFC as a schema will improve. Would you have a, a different view on that, Rob? Or, or, or be able to value add to what I just said? No, no, that's ab- absolutely right. And, and the criticism um, that IFC is not working is not because of the standard is not working, but it's because of the interpretation of the people that are working with it, or maybe some parts of the industry wants you to believe that it's not working. I spend a lot of time on educating people 
and explaining how they make it work. It's not easy to make things work. It's um, like I said, it's a demand driven process. So you need to be aware of what the other need to do their job better. Only if you understand what the other needs, um, you can supply them with the correct uh, information. So like you said, the standard is growing, the standard is improving, uh, the scheme itself is improving, and the knowledge of how it can be uh, implemented in an organization is improving. So we need all those different variables. It's not that uh, the standard is the best, I think you yeah you just mentioned VAS, but I think Betamax was in Europe a better standard, but VAH VHS one, and that was because of the implementation of the VHS and uh, the market approach. So we need to work on that. We need to educate the market as well as develop the standard. In a similar approach, people also uh, criticise Kobe. Uh, or as I touched on in the last session with Rob Jackson, it's construction, operation, building, information exchange. So this is one of the model view definitions of IFC for facilities management purposes. Now, from from your perspective, Rob, uh, what's one of the like one of the key benefits, I guess, of actually uh, taking Kobe uh, for as a FM handover versus a bespoke solution? Well, to be honest, it's the only FM handover standard that I am aware of i don't know if there are many more or more but it's one that is and it's proven technology it's coming from the us it was implemented in the uk a lot of people are looking at it and from an asset manager point of view it's very very interesting and like i said it's the only one i know i guess the key thing to take away from that is that asking for a standard deliverable or a deliverable that meets a standard would be easier for industry or the supply chain to respond to rather than expecting a bespoke solution that, that no one else has worked with before. So they have to actually discover their own way in which they can come up with a way to deliver you that outcome. Correct. I think that's, that's a very good approach, yeah. Rob, thanks very much for taking the time to sit down with me today and discussing the benefits of Open BIM. Now, I think you've probably covered this a couple of times, but... I just want to keep this in the right order in terms of the way I want to finish out the interview. But I've also asked this question for all the other guests that I've had on. And what does BIM mean to you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I cannot imagine a construction world without BIM. Uh, so the demand-driven process to let everybody do their job better. And maybe in a couple of years, the term BIM will disappear and, and then we succeeded in uh, educating the market in working in a new way rob thanks once again for your time for more information on open bim please head to our website and find the links to read more about the topic that we discussed today i look forward to sharing our next podcast in a fortnight's time until then good luck with your digital transition if you would like assistance with your digital transition please contact us at that digital at fultontrotter.com.au For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. 
We would also appreciate it if you provide us with a rating and take the time to provide us with a review. Thanks for listening to The Digital Transition, brought to you by Fulton Trotter Digital. Digital Transition.